Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I uh, have been reading a report from RBC titled The $2 Trillion Transition. And uh, it's about the transition from fossil fuels to um, renewables. And the RBC Economics and Thought Leadership has released this report, and it sets out the economic roadmap for this country. $2 trillion is a lot of money. And where does the money come from? And uh, how, how are we going to come up with $60 billion a year? That's the annual cost. John Stackhouse is Senior Vice President in the office of the CEO at the Royal Bank of Canada and leads RBC on research and thought leadership on economic, technological, and social change. John, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's a very interesting document, but it leaves me with a lot of questions. Thanks uh, Thanks for reaching out, Roy. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, let me just, first of all, I guess the most fundamental question I ask is, how do you arrive at the $2 trillion cost? And we're looking at this $2 trillion cost, if I understand it correctly, extending from 2021, so this year, is it to 2050 or 2060? It's, it's 2050. So how did you arrive at $2 trillion? Yeah, and it, it, you're absolutely right. It's a big number. None of us can count to $1 trillion, <laughs> let alone $2 trillion, so it's hard for all of us to get our, our, our heads around it. And in the re- report, we uh, do break it down. It is over you know, close to 30 years, as you uh, say, and it's roughly 2% of GDP. So think of it as 2% of our overall uh, economy. We, we, we got to the number, it's a great question, by sort of calculating the cost of reducing emissions across a variety of sectors. This is not just the oil and gas sector. So how much is it going to cost to increase the amount of electricity that we're going to need for a lot more electric vehicles? How much are we going to need for agriculture to reduce uh, emissions in, uh, in, in the farming sector and, and so on? And that got us to $2 trillion, and then we broke it down to the 60 to $80 billion a year, which, as I say, is about 2% of our economy. And again, that still is a lot of money. Uh, I don't uh, uh, downplay that at all, but it's actually within our, our, our reach, uh, particularly because most of this money is private investment. This is what we can all invest in in our own activities, but also uh, across the economy. So we see this as a really important growth driver, economic growth driver over the next uh, quarter century. It's nowhere near entirely up to government. This is a big private sector opportunity. Right. And I want to talk to you about what your expectations are of Canadians, because I read just one sentence. And I don't want to be out of context, but it caught my attention. But let me start with this. So you talked about uh, electrification, and your report says or calls for a national policy on electrification. John, we have a terrible time in this country, even dealing with, in, with each other, with trading with each other from province to province. Coming up with it, we had, it was impossible to, to deliver pipelines at a time when they were not controversial across Canada. So how are we going to come up with a national policy on electrification? What's, what's, what's your vision tell you? Well, you know, you're, you're spot on. Look, Roy, we, we struggled getting through the pandemic, which was life-threatening exactly. to a lot of Canadians. Uh, we struggled to get uh, interprovincial or FedProv 
cooperation. And yeah, if we can't do it when we have a life-threatening challenge like uh, COVID or a pandemic, how do we do it for a 30-year project for uh, for climate change? I I totally, totally get it. Uh, We think this is a wake-up call to Canada to say, look, if if we're serious about climate change, um, let's get beyond the talk. Let's get beyond a bit of the high-mindedness and say, okay, we we, got to get down to some serious work here. Uh, If you believe this is, you know, maybe the greatest challenge of our times, which uh, we, we, we try to argue. And if that's the case, it's time for the federal government and provinces to come together on a few uh, or more than a few issues. But electricity is is at the core of this and say, look, we've got to produce a lot more electricity and we're uh, better off than almost any country in the world in terms of what we can do with hydro, with nuclear, with renewables. How do we go about this uh, over the next quarter century? It's going to take tens of billions of dollars of investment in uh, electrification, uh, maybe hundreds of billions when you, you go out 30 years. Big opportunity for the provinces, but we all have to kind of change our change our approach. We need a, a, a new playbook, and that includes how the provinces deal with each other. So just looking at some uh, some of the key points, I wish I could discuss them all with you, but we haven't got the time. A national, well, we could do it over several interviews, I guess. A national strategy for green skills, long-term commitment to carbon pricing, leveraging climate to enhance U.S. trade, an industrial strategy for carbon capture, utilization, and storage, a national action plan for sustainable agriculture, supercharging electric vehicles, and rapid retrofitting. Then, John, I come to this. This is me now. I find this sentence. The challenge is getting people to change. A low-carbon lifestyle is still more expensive, harder, and less convenient than the status quo. We're dealing with, uh, we had a poll last year that showed that 52% of Canadians are within $200 not being able to pay their monthly bills. Where's the money going to come from? What what does it mean when you say a low-carbon lifestyle is still more expensive, harder, and less convenient? How much more expensive, how much harder, and how much less convenient? The challenge with any technology change is that it's always more expensive in the early years. And then as it scales and we get uh, better with the technology, we're seeing this with cell phones as a uh, front and center example, it gets cheaper over uh, over time and gets way easier for us all as uh, as users. We can't let that slow us down on the climate journey. So we're going to need a lot more public investment in the first years of this transition, including helping consumers uh, adjust to new vehicles, to uh, home retrofits, changing the way you insulate, for instance, or the way you heat or air condition your 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 home. Uh, all that's going to require more public resources. Good news is there's a lot of public resources available right now to help uh, to, to to help uh, accelerate the the economic recovery coming out of the pandemic. So we're arguing let's get that money into consumer facing activities as well as infrastructure things like uh, charging stations need to be built uh, across the country that will reduce the cost for uh, for consumers and also increase the convenience several emails john from listeners saying throwing around billions of dollars is sounds easy but it's going to be hard on the average person and there's great interest in what this transition will cost the average person. So I'm going to come back to what I said to you uh, just before the break, just quoting from, uh, from your writing, from the report. The challenge is getting people to change. Okay, so we take that sentence and accept it. A low-carbon lifestyle will still be more expensive, harder, and less convenient than the status quo. So how much more expensive? How much more expensive is it going to be to heat a home 
or to, um, to to drive to where we go. Immense country where and it's all spread apart. We, we need to drive and we don't have the electric vehicle capacity yet. What's the cost going to be? Have you estimated that in the report to the average Canadian family, which is under stress f- fiscally? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an excellent point, Roy. And we haven't broken it down to a household level because it depends on how much uh, collective spending is focused in the early parts of the transition. If we direct public investment, and there's a lot of uh, public money going into the economy over the next uh, couple of years. But that's the taxpayer, the economy right? Going that's, again. that's still the taxpayer. I, 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 well, it's it borrowed from the future, and uh, taxes will pay it back, but we are creating economic growth that allows us to pay down the debt. That's kind of a, a basic principle of economics. So investing in productive activities is a really important way to get the economy going. And we think there is an opportunity here to direct a lot of that money rather than just making it simple transfers or political schemes to invest it into serious projects, uh, especially in infrastructure that build another quarter century of economic growth. You'll remember before the pandemic, economic growth was a challenge for the uh, for the country. Canada's not alone in that respect. We're an older uh, population, so growth remains a challenge. This is a chance for us to invest in those growth opportunities, as well as in ways that reduce our overall or overall emissions. Of course, there's a question, who, who's going to pay for it? So uh, home heating or transportation, am I going to have to pay more? Actually, you'll end up paying less if you invest in the transition technologies that we've outlined in the report. And there's a way to direct uh, public investment so that that transition is uh, is faster and more seamless. I'll also reiterate that you know the two trillion dollar number is mostly private investment, and as a country, we are sitting on a lot, a lot of savings right now. We, we RBC has estimated there's three hundred billion dollars in surplus savings uh, sitting in bank accounts and uh, similar uh, similar vehicles right now because people are nervous; they don't know where to invest it. This is a chance to create uh, investment opportunities for people to channel some of those savings, get higher returns for companies that are not investing enough in the the economy. Companies, corporate Canada, same in the U.S., are are sitting on significant assets that they need to leverage and put into those productive investments, whether it's carbon pipelines in the uh, the oil sector or electric charging infrastructure right uh, right across the country or building retrofits uh, for our hospitals and uh, universities as well as uh, m- most of our homes is a really good way to invest some of that uh, surplus savings that will generate more returns through the uh, through the decades ahead. okay so I'm assuming that the uh, investment would be voluntary uh, yes I'm not sure what, uh, if there's well not poli- it wouldn't be government policy where we're going to we need this money and so we're going to tax you more for this particular uh, no, no, so service or good right you know because that happens too that's basic economics too no, absolutely. Government. So, so there are some governments that may see a tax and spend opportunity here. Mm-hmm. Let we me ask you that, John let me get let me get onto this the International yeah. Energy Agency this year said fossil fuel development has to end for the world to reach its global net zero objective by 2050. And that's your time frame. 
That doesn't sound to me like the world is completely voluntarily on board with the idea of net zero by 2050. And in the same report, the IEA wrote that in 2050, if all the official moves to renewables development are met, the world will still be using 75 million barrels of oil per day. How do we put that together? We're going to rely on fossil fuels for many, many more years. We think that's a really important uh, message to share with Canadians. We're not shutting down fossil fuels anytime soon. Most of us rely on oil and natural gas significantly. And if you try to move away from those fuels too quickly, you see what's happening in uh, Europe right now. It's happening in China as well, where there's really bad disruptions that cost uh, people their jobs, that cost, uh, that send prices way up on things like natural gas. So we're arguing for a more thoughtful transition that does take time rather than try to do things suddenly and really disrupt significant parts of the economy as well as uh, our, own, our, our own lives. So yes, we're going to rely on fossil fuels for years to come. We also think Canadian producers of fossil fuels, uh, whether it's oil or natural gas, can be among world leaders in reducing the emissions of those products. There's nothing inherently wrong, uh, say, with natural gas. Our concern is with the greenhouse gas emissions associated with that. Well, there's technologies like carbon capture that allow you to capture uh, many of those gases that come out from the production of natural gas or oil, for instance, puts it back into the ground. Okay, so 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 this question, so this question, sorry to interrupt, but I'm looking at the clock. I want to get as many questions in for you as I can. Absolutely. If if we're looking at the cooperation of the the fossil uh, fuel manufacturer, the the producers, RBC and five other major Canadian banks joined the UN Net Zero Banking Alliance, led by Mark Carney, former Bank of Canada governor. Uh, Does this mean that RBC will restrict lending to Canadian oil and natural gas projects like exploration and pipeline construction? And if it does, how can you get the cooperation of these these businesses that uh, that need loans and need lending? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that we can have some serious conversations with our clients about their own net zero strategies and use the methodologies that uh, the Net Zero Banking Alliance that you mentioned uh, allow for that allow us to work with uh, global banks, be it Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan, developing the methodologies and the data sets that allow us to share our progress with, uh, with the public as well as with our shareholders. So the oil industry, great, uh, great case in point, the oil sands producers uh, in Canada, the five or six biggest ones, have a very serious strategy to get to net zero. Uh, We see a big opportunity there to help finance that. Uh, And I think other banks do as well, and we'll work out the details with them uh, over over time. But that's the kind of work that this alliance uh, doesn't give us permission to do. We don't need permission to do it. It gives us uh, some methodologies to share our progress with, uh, with the public when we work with say, the oil producers on their own path to net zero and help show the public how they're doing. So if I understand this correctly, we have a long way to go in a fairly short period of time. Uh, Yes, I think that is the the, the key message of the climate transition. We have a long way to go in a short period of time. And as Canadians, we've we've made a lot of promises over, over the decades and have not lived up to those promises. 
And this is a good moment for us to say, okay, how, how do we do better uh, in the coming years and coming decades than maybe we've done uh, to date? And that, of course, brings politics and political parties into the debate. But we'd have to have another hour to get into that. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.